you know, I was just reading something. Um, apparently, there was a game scheduled on the 4th of October between Juventus and Napoli. Yeah. Um, and Juve- Juventus couldn't show up. Uh, oh, sorry, Napoli. Napoli couldn't show up. So so they gave Juventus a score of 3-0 and they punished uh, Napoli. Like, they deduced a point from them just for One point? Know, reporting earlier or something. I think so. Do you know about why they couldn't make it? Coronavirus! Coronavirus! It was because of COVID, I think. Like, the health authorities banned them. It wasn't yeah. even a club decision. Yeah, yeah, the local health authority, I think, from their region or state or whatever. Which is interesting. Like, you just have, like, even more factors affecting, you know, points. And, yeah. uh, like, it wasn't even their decision. So, yeah, I guess we'll be seeing a lot of that coming up in a lot of the leagues. Yeah, yeah. But it's it's incredible that they, they didn't make an exception or they didn't allow, you know, to postpone the match. Like, fair enough, it was last minute. I think it was the day before that the health authorities stopped them, but... It wasn't. It wasn't a club decision. Are they going to appeal? Surely they will. I'm not sure. I would. I'd try and appeal that. That seems outrageous. I'd. I'd sue the league if I were them. Like that's. That's completely outrageous. Speaking of COVID, coronavirus, and Juventus, Ronaldo is now confirmed to to have COVID. I can't believe it. I wish the best of luck uh, to COVID. I hope it, COVID has a quick recovery after getting through his uh, machine of a body. Yeah. <laughs> I think he's gonna he's gonna completely crush the the virus. Yeah, I don't think he's at risk. Hopefully yeah, not. Anyway. Hopefully not. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I think the virus itself needs to go on quarantine 14 days after after leaving Ronaldo's body. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, his wife is ranting on Instagram. She's like, "This is a sham. Um, people need to open open their eyes." Wake up, and like, I think she's particularly disappointed that apparently there's a game scheduled between UV and Barca uh, during his period where he has to isolate. Mm. Yeah, so he's going to miss a match against Messi. Uh, but yeah, like just her uh, her words and like um, she's kind of doubting the whole thing and she's saying people need to open up their eyes. She's just like turning the whole thing. She into thinks it's a, a conspiracy. Coronavirus conspiracy. I think so. Oh my god! Like at least she's like hinting at it. I mean, it's just a giant hoax. Oh my god. She thinks that someone gave Ronaldo COVID so that he would have to isolate and miss the Barcelona match. Is that what you're thinking? Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> Man, that's taking it way like, into higher levels. I'm just taking it to another level, right? I don't like them putting chemicals in the water that turn the friggin' frogs gay. Do you understand that? <laughs> no, I just think so. I think she just like her words might imply that you know it doesn't he he doesn't need to isolate and not play and like this whole thing is exaggerated. That's so even worse. People need to open up their eyes. I mean, I'm just assuming here, too, but maybe it's it's a contact sport. Like, it's so dangerous for to have someone play while you know while being able to 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 pass it on to other people. It's it's because there's a lot yeah. of there's a lot of contact. There's a lot of close contact. I, I, I reckon you could actually have a good team right now of all the players who have COVID-19. Like, you <laughs> you have a superstar team. I guess there's a FIFA team out there called like C19 or something like that. <laughs> Mane, Thiago, Ibra, Ronaldo. Matuidi. But would you actually put Ibra? But would you put Ibra on that team? Because I think uh, like it was a false positive the first time he tested. Huh. Yeah, like he tested a few days later and it turned out to be negative. Oh, that's so... Who? Either like he actually scared off coronavirus with his tweet, or he didn't actually. Yeah, help. yeah, yeah. Uh, Ibrahimovic. <laughs> ah, he's a lion. Um, yeah, you'd have a good team. I just don't know any good keepers who've got COVID. It seems like the keepers are. They kept clean sheets. <laughs> they kept clean sheets. <laughs>
Do you think that's something to do with wearing gloves? Because <laughs> you're wearing gloves, huh? Yeah, well, firstly, should we introduce our first ever guest to the show? Very exciting to Very have exciting. B on the show. What's up, B? I'm main boy. Yo, 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 yo. Thank you, guys. First of all, congratulations for having this podcast. It's been really, really great. Uh, like, the topics you've chosen so far are really interesting. They've been hick. Uh, they're just really enjoyable to listen to. I mean, the second, third, and fourth were just really great episodes, but the first one, man. The first, the first one, one was the best. Wow. Wicked, wicked custom. We haven't managed to reach those heights again, though. I don't think episodes two, three, and four have, have been nearly as good as the first one. But hopefully, you know, hopefully this time we can exceed it, maybe. Uh, that's too much pressure on me to <laughs> What's What's cool is that this one is the very first uh, unscripted or like un, unresearched um, episode because we've, we've all been busy this past week nobody had enough time to like research a full topic so so we decided to have like an impromptu just a discussion about our predictions since the the transfer window shut we've been talking about this for ages about wanting to do a whole you know basic football prediction a whole roundup um, mm. so we thought we'd get uh, our, our main man be the football expert to, to help us sort through uh, what to expect what we can expect for this season yeah. Again, no pressure, huh? No pressure, no, no, no. <laughs> Just to have the a third, a third, uh, a third brain, I suppose, to like, uh, yeah, think out loud with us. Now, both me and F saw that and said we both think they both should have got sent off. And Rashford was making that exact point. And Mark Maguire was like, no, the referee got it right. He's had a look at it and it wasn't violent conduct. And it just seemed to me like not something a captain would say. And you'd expect you the captain team. to be making the case. I mean, yeah. F is a neutral. He thought it was uh, a red card for Lamella. I am a United fan. I was screaming. And Harry Maguire was shouting at Rashford. To, I just didn't think it was a very... For me, he didn't seem like a captain. And hearing him talk like that, it didn't, I didn't get the captain vibe. And something that's interesting, he wasn't even captain at Leicester City. So yeah, imagine yeah, yeah. coming to, to Manchester United within one year getting the captaincy. It just shows a lack of leadership in the club. And weren't there rumours that he had a big uh, falling off with Bruno? I think at halftime yeah. during that match. Had a shouting was, contest. At the moment, there's so much, you know, and maybe we can start with United and where we think United are going to do this season. But at the moment, there's so much rumours of fighting in-house and there's rumours of Pochettino, you know, being yeah. part of Ed Woodward's plan. For me, this, this you know, transfer window has been an absolute disaster for us. The Jaden Sancho conversation oh started six months ago. More than a year ago, even. I mean, 18 months ago, we were talking about exactly. it. Exactly. I don't, but, you know, six months ago, we were talking about this specific deal for this transfer window. And the fact that two clubs, you know, United Asylum, but all the, all the journalists, everything at United gets leaked. That's just something that I know about this club. Anything yeah. that's internally is going to get leaked. 
and I think one of the main journalists was Fabrizio Romano. I think mm. he's, he did like 15 Here We Go tweets. And if you don't know who Fabrizio Romano <laughs> oh, is, yeah, yeah. his like Here Twitter We Go famous. tweets is, is legendary. And he doubled his followers from this uh, Jaden Sancho. He started 1 million followers. Now he's got 2 million. He had 15 Here We Goes. Here We Go personal terms are agreed. Here We Go agents fees agreed. Here We Go they're talking to each other. Here We Go, you know, someone texts some. And it just dragged on. And the longer it went, the more you knew that this probably wasn't going to happen and we probably didn't have a backup plan. And on the last week, we get Cavani and we get two young wingers. And I like the young wingers that are coming in. They, they you know, Palestri and Traore, they look really good, but they're yeah. not for this season. They're probably not even for next season. We're thinking yeah. three to five year plan for these guys. And it just... There was no plan. We didn't back the manager. And there's a systemic pattern of a manager comes in, big boost, gets you into Champions League. Summer transfer window, doesn't get any targets, gets random targets that like make no sense, overpay, offer contracts to existing players on crazy money for five years, which means they're impossible to sell. Then you complain that we're paying the most out of salaries. Our salaries are insane for such terrible players. I don't think any other big club owns a gang of just terrible players that no other club would want to touch. It's, it's insane to me, yeah. you know, what the club policy is going to be. Then that second year in the Champions League, there's more games. The, the squad isn't good enough. They start to drop in the league. Fifth, sixth, seventh, manager goes, new manager comes in, wash, rinse and repeat. Now yeah. you've seen Mourinho, Van Gaal, Oli. These are they all terrible managers, or are they just not getting backed? I mean, I don't like if I put it back to you, neutral. What What do you guys think about Manchester this year? And I think it's a little bit of both. Yeah, top four would be a dream for Manchester this year, and that's annoying yeah. considering last year we finished third and we want to kick on and get closer to the top two clubs. I feel like already we're you know. Took a step One of the back. worst performing, yeah, major steps back. Like right yeah. now, we're like seventeenth, eighteenth in the league. It's insane. So it's interesting because the thing, the thing about Oli is that, like, he wasn't hired because of his tactical acumen. Surely, like, you know, he's not. He's not much of a tactical wizard. You're a wizard, Harry. Um, it was mostly kind of a morale boost, uh, a sort of cheerleader role, and uh, you know, we're talking about how you know morale is down. And there, there seems to be a lot of disharmony in the team. So, do you, do you guys think that Oli will get will finish the season as as coach? I mean, I really find it hard to 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 do it, and I don't think it's going to be his fault. They really should have invested in you know that finish last season where they really had three players uh, on form: Bruno Fernandez, Rashford, Martial. They were doing so well, yeah. and they really needed to build around, especially around Bruno Fernandez. Like he came in mid season and had a tremendous difference in the team. But like the way that the whole uh, problem between uh, Bruno Fernandes and Maguire was handled and like how Bruno was basically, I think he went off then. To be honest, you need to give that player much more respect. And obviously there's a lot of politics involved. There's, you know, structural problems within the club, uh, how they uh, manage it, how they manage transfers. Oli is just going to be a scapegoat to like, you know, give an impression that they're changing things. And like, I don't know, there's a balance when you want to get a coach between characteristics of someone who has enough reputation within the club, who knows how to manage the different players, has their respect, but also has that tactical ability. Yeah. Oli, I think, had really the former. We don't really know much uh, much about the latter and his tactics. 
what happened towards the end of last season was just you know a good run of games and form and just gelling between those three players. Yeah, there's just a whole structural problem. But like uh, you know, fair enough. If Story doesn't have that tactical ability, you can um, try to complement that you know, like with the assistant coaches. But like what you really need to do is just focus on the squad makeup. You just can't have a summer like that pass without without improving your squad. I know. A lot of clubs try to blackmail United with, you know, knowing that they can pay higher fees for players, so they end up just, you know, really raising their asks. But United should have just went went for it. It was, you know, they went for desperate price. I know they're exciting young players. There was two players that they got on transfer deadline. But, like, if they really want to do a desperate price, just put the extra cash and buy Sancho. It yeah. was a much need. Is, is Cavani going to be the next Sanchez? Like, do you think he's going to have an impact? I don't think they bought him to start, surely. Like, I think he's just a rotation option. But what's your expectations? Yeah, one of the Palestri, one of the young wingers, is Uruguayan. Uh, Cavani is obviously Uruguayan. I don't think United are clever enough to have planned that at all. I think that's just a a happy (laughs) accident. So I think that will help, um, obviously, Palestri's um, introduction to to England. England's not always an easy place for South Americans to come in and, and thrive. So I think having a legend like Cavani, who you look up to in the club, a senior player. Has Cavani won a Champions League? I don't think he has, no. but he's, he's been in finals and he's you know, experienced in the latter stages, quarters, semis of the, yeah. the Champions League. I hope he brings in a winning mentality. If nothing else, like a winning mentality to the team and sets the standards. And going back to the previous point, do you think that Oli is going to see the end of the season? I don't think so. I think you need something new. Like, Pogba isn't happy. Bruno's not happy. Maguire can't kick a ball and can't see five yards in front of his face mm-hmm. right now. You've got Donny van de Beek, who looks really good, but no one knows how to fit him into a team with Pogba and Fernandes. You have no one on the right-hand side who's a natural player. You have Cavani, Igalo, who both, I feel like, should come on in the last 20, 30 minutes of games play in the EFL Cup games, they're your second string strikers. Mm. And and Cavani is there to, you know, assist, you know, Mason Greenwood's uh, progress. Yeah. And there's a lot of young players. So I think bringing someone more experienced is fine. But it's a desperate buy. It's huge wages for two years. He hasn't played soccer or football in six, seven months. He's not been yeah. with a team for seven months. How fit is he going to be? He's... Going to miss the Newcastle match. Is he going to play against PSG after not training with the team and not playing football for seven months? Do you play him against, you know, one of the best teams in Europe just to get, you know, I don't know, I don't know. And it's it's sad because the thing is, like, if, if Oli is sacked, then it appears as though Poch is going to be the replacement. And I'm so, like, no, no, you know, no offence to United, but, like, I'm so sad that if Poch ends up at United, because for me, he's, he's at the top tier, like, top three coaches, I think, today. Punches up there. And for him to go to a club, I mean, no disrespect to the club in itself, but the structure. Like, to be working under Ed Woodward, not having any, you know, support from the board, it would be such a shame for someone with his talents. Like, you can only do so much as a coach if you're not getting supported, you know what I mean? Even if he's a tactical mastermind. But also, you raised uh, something I hadn't thought uh, about before. Oli, we know, is a really nice guy. So, like, fitting into a structure that he knows isn't working, we, we don't know that Oli is really trying to, like vie for his power or like mm. trying to change anything within the structure Pochettino like he's a strong character and like towards the end of his time at Tottenham he was like making uh, 
you know, blunt remarks yeah, about finessing. the structure of the club. Yeah. Exactly how how he wants to have more authority in his hands. He actually even once said in a press conference, "They should uh, they should change my title and just you know call me coach instead of head manager. coach or something. Yeah, yeah. Coach instead of manager, exactly." So I think having someone like him in that position to challenge the structures within the club might be actually a good thing. But surely you had that with Mourinho. Like Mourinho is a strong character. Mourinho always politics. I think he got the director of football at Madrid. He got him fired uh, when he was. <laughs> <laughs> that's how. That's how you know evil he is. But. Um, if I speak, I am in, in big trouble, in big trouble, and I don't want to be in big trouble. The, it didn't, you know, at United he just turned bitter, he turned sour. You know that, what was the result? Srinio, Srinio, do you know what this mean? Srinio, but also mean three premierships, and I won more premierships alone than the other 19 managers together. Three for me and two for them. Respect, 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 man, respect, respect. Like because it's such a and but but you know what happened with Mourinho? Like coming into Real Madrid, he had the leveraging power to say, "If I'm going to come in, these are the authorities I want." Yeah, it's it's much easier for a coach coming in new to the position to actually demand what he needs. Yeah. Uh, because because the club need him basically at that stage. It's much harder to start calling for changes when you're towards the end of your tenure and things aren't going so well as was happening with Poch. Very true. And I think because I think United do appreciate how how good and how you know he's the best he's the best coach on on the market and he's like I said in my opinion top three. So like I think he does have his stock is high enough that he can he can leverage as a, as a starting point and say these are my conditions. It's another yeah. failure if he comes in though. As as happy as I would be that we have a top class manager, and even I think I'm not as convinced about Poch as you two are, and it makes me excited to hear that you guys rate him so highly. But it's a it's a complete fuck up. You fucked up the transfer market, so the only way you're going to save it is firing your head coach, your manager, and bringing yeah. in someone else. But honestly, as like even if things change, uh, I still don't see United. Probably even making it to top six. Yeah, even if they get that, uh, to be honest. Top six, I mean, I mean look, you have uh, Everton and Leicester who are, you know, because you always have that underdog yeah, club that's, you know, that's taking one of the places of those top six. I feel like one of them might actually make it. And then you have the established clubs. Even though Liverpool City might not be completely on form, they're going to be up there, definitely. Arsenal Spurs uh, are Tottenham. much better this season than they have been. Arsenal under well. Arteta are so so exciting. Even though they haven't like they, you look at their squad and you're like, what are they gonna come up with? Yeah. But like man, Arteta is a mastermind. Like uh, the the ones he's had since towards the end of last season, even starting this season, are just amazing. And Tottenham have had some really good buys. They've been really active in this market compared to others. Yeah. So it it, it really looks like it'll be tough for United. One one last question about United before we move on. I think I felt a big a big weakness point has been Matic. So like, obviously the defense is sort of an unsolvable problem for now, but the midfield. So like Matic, I think Matic was a big reason why since the restart United were probably the best uh, in last season, the best team in the Prem, and I think the the triumvirate of, of Matic, Pogba, Bruno were so good. But like. He's obviously lost a bit of pace. He's not doing. Mm-hmm. So he's not on the best form. Can can mm-hmm. Fred or McTominay replace him? Should they replace him? Will th- will that make any difference? I know they're kind of different. They're not really holding midfielders. They're more box to box. Both of them, their profiles. But surely, like, would that freshen up? Yeah, it's not a Premier League winning midfield. That's the problem with that. You can win games. You can beat teams with McTominay, and t- he's not going to lose you a team. But then you play 
the top teams in Europe and is McTominay going to live with Barcelona, Juventus, Manchester City, Liverpool? That's, mm. that's where the, it's those fine margins in soccer and football where you need, that's such a key position. You have, you know, someone yeah. like Kante, if you brought him into Manchester United, that's, that would make a huge impact. Matic on his day makes us play really well, but we have no real depth. He can't yeah. play two games in two weeks. That's the problem with him. Yeah. I was just quickly Googling how old Ma- Ma- Matic is. He's only 32 years old, so he's not that old. But uh, he does give you this feeling that, you know, his uh, age is starting to take a toll on yeah. him. He was slow slower. before. That's the thing. He was slow. Already. He was never, yeah, he now was never a fast slower. player. That's the thing. Yeah. What he, what he does do really well is his reading of the game. And I feel like him being yeah. alongside Pogba used to give him guidance. But like when Matic isn't playing well, then, you know, Pogba just becomes completely lost like a straight dog in the field. And yeah, there's a massive problem with that. Yeah. Team. All right, yeah, so yeah. boys, where do you think United are going to finish then? I'll, B, you go first. Like, I put them 8th, 9th. 8th and 9th. F? Yeah, probably maybe 6th or 7th for me. All right, I'm always an optimist, boys. So we can play this again in about seven months' time and see how far off. Okay. I, think we'll okay. get, I think we'll get top four, and I think we'll be outside of the top four, most of the top four, but I think we'll bring it in. And I think that will only happen if we get rid of Oli and we bring in Pochettino. Or Allegri, maybe, or like some of the... Yeah, we need, we need a big change. And then I think I was just looking at Everton's team because I think you guys both think Everton might do better than United, which I think right now on form looks like you're right. I, you know, I don't think anyone's going to disagree with that. I'm just looking at their team. Their team's not that special. I think they're just mm. on very, very good form and they're on a high. The season yeah. is long and the season... This you know, season in lot, particular is going to be very long. It's going to be very long. They've got like... Their midfield, they've got a few good players. They've got Sigurdsson. But I don't... Like the other players, they're not top four players. Tom Davies isn't a top four English club player. Um, Andre Gomez, Fabian Delph. Alan is new, right? He, Alan is, is definitely. Alan is a Premier League winning midfielder. I'm gonna. You think I'm so? gonna say it right there. I'm gonna spoil like since we're on the topic. I'm gonna spoil my like pick for signing of the season. I I picked him as no my way. prediction for signing of the season. Yeah, he was he was a beast with Napoli, and I think you know Rodriguez is getting all of the merits, but I think I think Alan has been the turning point for for uh, Everton. What's his position? Uh, holding midfield. Mm. So he's an old. He's not. He's not a young man. Why? Why have we? Is he been sort of a, just an unsung hero at Napoli? Is that why? Yeah. The thing about I. I think defensive midfielder is sort of one of the one of the least appreciated uh, positions in football. So. Yeah. And yeah, I think no one no one picked him up, and also I think he was a late bloomer. To be honest, like I I, I only started like noticing him as as a top top player in the past two years maybe. So like since right. he was what if he's twenty nine now since he was twenty seven perhaps and does he does he play for Brazil does he start as a number six for Brazil because I, I can't know. think of a great number six who plays for Brazil I always feel that that position is relatively weak uh, you know what I th- I think they have the best defensive midfielders in the world like they have they have Ooh. Casemiro they have Fabinho they have Fernandinho they have I I can't think of any other nationality that has such Elite level, so yeah, uh, holding midfielders, right. and and because it's there's a lot of competition. You're you're basically competing with the creme de la creme of the world. So it is it is a boring position, though, isn't it? Like all those players are fantastic, but you wouldn't watch a highlight reel of Fernand, like 
Fabinho and they're just it's a there's nothing I love more than a good than a good defensive midfielder that's my favorite position if I if I play football I, I that's the position I want to play because I you know it's just intelligence it's just like tactical intelligence reading the game making right decisions at the right time and you're the fulcrum of the entire team defensively and offensively and it's so underrated as well all right well, well Alan is one to watch this year that's F's pick for the most what, what was the category uh, signing of the season my prediction signing, signing of the season, season. wow so uh, let's jump to let's go back to starting from the top so Liverpool uh, the first talking point I have is Thiago obviously signing probably signing of the season on paper one of one of the best midfielders in the world I think he's going to be very important against small teams. So like when, when Liverpool need to keep the ball, they need to keep possession. He's, they don't have a midfielder of that profile before. All of their midfielders are sort of hardworking players. And so to have someone as good as Thiago and like with that skill set, which is quite unique to, to Liverpool, I think against smaller teams, he's going to be quite important. And I think against, against like tougher teams where Liverpool usually have like three box-to-box, three defensive-minded midfielders, they might play him, I thought about this a lot, they might play him and then sort of reduce the attacking role of, of one of the fullbacks or both. So to sort of balance it out. So Thiago will have, usually the, the three midfielders have very defensive orientations. So to have one of them sort of have a more attacking responsibility, then that might impact Robertson or Trent's ability to get forward. Uh, what do you guys think about Thiago? How, how, how much of an impact do you think he's going to have? I mean, um, from his first game, he started breaking records, huh? Yeah. He, uh, like, he had most uh, passes, I think, in a Premier League game. This was the record he uh, broke. It just gives uh, a further dimension to the team. Mm. Uh, previously, Liverpool's midfield were more box-to-box players with Henderson and uh, Wijnaldum. Yeah. Uh, so I feel like you just have that extra option of, you know, if, if a game uh, necessitates that you need more possession in the game, more control of the flow, then you have that option with you. But like also Thiago, and that's one of the reasons why he couldn't really fit within the Barcelona system uh, coming up. Uh, like he's uh, he's just more agile, he's more athletic, he's more direct. Um, so like he's perfect for Liverpool and having that balance between possession between the direct yeah. passing football. That's probably also why he fits so well with with Bayern at the time during his stay there, particularly this this treble winning team. He helped control possession, but at the same time, not not in a purely you know ideologically tiki taka reasons. Exactly. Yeah, for me, for me, Thiago is the signing of the year. Um, certainly for the Premier League, I think earlier we discussed that winning mentality. I don't. This guy is a serial winner. Yeah. I think he will elevate all the players around him. That's who United are desperate for, and the amount of money Liverpool spent to get one of the best, you know, top five midfielders in the world right now. Maybe, mm-hmm. the, what was it? Thirty yeah. thirty million. Ugh, just. It, it blows my mind. And that's yeah. the position that United are crying out for. He, he's, he's phenomenal. I've got a picture on my screen right now. I'll, I'll present <laughs> it. Of uh, James Milner in training. Just admiring uh, Thiago's <laughs> technique in his passing. And he's, he's walking off and he's turning around. And he's just admiring. Oh, like, that's nice. Perfect technique. I just that's think, amazing. And, and maybe, B, you can tell me more about this. But I think Pep Guardiola is obsessed with him, right? Yeah, I mean, um, Pep immediately got the player once he went to Bayern. What's funny about Thiago is that uh, even though he's a world-class player, 
but he's never costed more than 20 million pounds uh, like in, uh, yeah. in moving to any other club. I mean, he moved to Bayern because there was a clause in his Barcelona contract, which meant if he didn't play a certain number of games, he could go for the cheap. And Bayern took like advantage of that. So um, he was just a catch on the market. But yeah, I mean, um, it's, it's a shame he couldn't continue with Barca. I think uh, his problem was just having Xavi and Iniesta in the team, so he really couldn't break through. So it was just timing that made sense for him to move on. Um, and yeah, uh, Pep obviously knew his qualities. Klopp now recognizes it as well. He's just a really good uh, midfield player to have in any team. Yeah. What about uh, Jota and Minimino? So I like Jota had a relatively good game and then a bad game against Villa. Minamino against Arsenal in the in the uh, charity cup thing. He had an amazing like once he once he came on he turned the game around. Do you think if one of the top one of the front three in Liverpool get injured, do you think these two can step up for like a prolonged period for like three four months in Mane or Salah's absence? Looks like Jota can. I mean, I'm just seeing a lot of. Uh, I, I haven't seen the guy play, but like just from reading. From what uh, people have to say about him, he looks like a really decent signing. Um, yeah, and yeah, he looks like he can cover for like any of the three players. I think they have like Liverpool do have enough depth in that forward line and in the midfield now as well. Yeah, um, and like also so something about Thiago, but like he definitely filled the gap that Liverpool needed to keep on improving their squad. Their midfield was always shaky, and people used to point that out. Uh, they just have to do something about their defense. Uh, someone next to next to Van Dijk is a must. Having Gomez and Matip as your next choice as centre backs just doesn't cut it for a team like Liverpool. Yeah, but the thing I mean, the beauty of Van Dijk is that he elevates whoever he plays with. So like as soon as he came, you saw like, the leaps and bounds in which all of the other defenders, uh, you know, jumped. So, uh, and I think yeah, the other thing with Van Dijk is that like you can't have someone like Ramos next to him. You need someone who's quite young and mobile who can cover for Van Dijk, because Van Dijk is mostly like intelligence and positioning. So you need someone to do the, to do the running. And I think that's why, that's why Gomez is such a perfect partner for him. Mm. And he's young, so he's like a sponge. He just like absorbs whatever Van Dijk tells him to do. He's just like, yes, sir. Sir, yes, sir. So it kind of works out, I guess. Yeah, I think Liverpool were the, obviously the best team last year. And I think this year they've added to that squad, I think, the Aston Villa game is a complete anomaly. Uh, I yeah. can't. I don't know how. I actually liked F's explanation last week that COVID and you know, everyone's gonna blame COVID for everything for the next twelve months. But certainly, yeah. COVID had potentially something to do with it. Um, but I think they're gonna walk it this season. I think they're first place. And I think a couple of weeks ago, me and F said maybe second or first. But but since then. Even with a seven-two loss, which is another record-breaker uh, uh, achievement by Liverpool, um, yeah, I still think that they're going to walk it this season. I'm really excited for this weekend's uh, match versus Everton. Uh, I I don't think I've ever been this excited for a Merseyside derby, just because Everton are top of the league, funnily enough, and uh, I think it's going to give us a good idea about both of these teams where they're at. Liverpool, whether or not the 7-2 was an anomaly and Everton, whether, you know, them being top of the league is kind of a, whether it is an anomaly or it's or they're there to stay, they're there to at least challenge for top four or top six. I think this team is going to be telling for the rest of, this game is going to be telling for the rest of the season. Yeah. Um, I don't know, I have this feeling inside me that the team that's going to win the league this season isn't going to be one of the typical six teams. Hmm. You know, you have a very turbulent transfer market. You have players extremely uh, weared out from last season and playing all those different competition games. Yeah. Um, so, like, I don't know, for me, it just makes sense for one of the teams that hadn't had the pressure of last season 
possibly to be in that first position. I'd understand if you said top two, but top six? So you, you, you're thinking someone's going to pull Leicester this season? I mean, either Leicester or, or, or Everton. Leicester have been surprisingly consistent since they won the league last time. Yeah, like they've been up there challenging all the time. So like I really yeah. wouldn't rule them out. They were uh, up until up until the the COVID break. They were more or less challenging for the title. Like they weren't even challenging for top four. They were closer to the title race than they were to the top four race. Uh, but since since uh, restart, they they just had an abysmal uh, return. So unfortunately for them, I was really rooting for them. So let's move on to City. Um, first question off the top. Uh, which has been bugging me. So do you think Diaz and Laporte, do you think that's a title-winning pairing? Do you think they finally solved their biggest problem? I mean, Laporte, if he can pull off a whole season without getting injured, maybe. Yeah. I really don't know what it is about uh, Pep's game. Like, even though they show signs of brilliance throughout the season, but for some reason they just can't manage to be consistent throughout, apart from the season where they actually won uh, the league. So I don't know if the weakness is in center defense or there's something with the team in general. In their defense, two seasons that they were unhumanly consistent. I think their first title win was they even had higher points than the second. I think it was 100 and then 98 the next year, the following year. But um, it's true. Yeah, maybe last year. Like, do you, so? Do you think it's something they've they've just gone down in, in quality since uh, since last season? Do you not think that last season was an anomaly more than anything else? I mean, we're starting to see a pattern with Pep, no? Uh, yeah. Like towards the third year. The team starts, you know, degrading a little bit in quality. Uh, maybe he's a bit too intense. Maybe his tactics can become very, uh, I don't know, too meticulous for players. Yeah. Uh, we know his man management skills aren't that great. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, like, towards the third year, I don't know, there probably there could be a problem within the dressing room. I think we might be seeing the last year of Cup Guardiola uh, and City. I mean, if he doesn't deliver the Champions League this season, definitely that's the end of his chapter. Yeah, definitely. And I do think they, they have grown tired, like, because, like you said, he's, his man management, he's too intense. And I think he, after, after a while, like, he kind of, there is a tendency, I suppose. I mean, it's never happened. That's the thing with him, is that he's, uh, he's light. Like, he usually leaves before the team collapses uh, or loses faith in him or, you know, he loses the dressing room. But I do think, if, if anything, this season is going to be the season. Well, what, what if, and this is a big yeah. hypothetical, what if they bring Messi next season? Would he stay? Would things <laughs> He'd definitely stay if they bring Messi. And I think they'd want him, like the board would want him to stay, surely. B, do you ever think that could happen? Are you asking me if I think this could happen? I mean, yeah. I mean, uh, if things don't change at uh, Barcelona this year, definitely, like, I think the top destination for Messi to go would be City. And definitely, like, the club wouldn't allow Pep to leave if they knew City, if they knew Messi was coming. I mean, he knows the player so well he's the one that actually transitioned him into a false nine position got the best out of him it just wouldn't make sense not to have Pep as a coach if Messi does come but uh, I guess we'll talk about that a little bit more when we talk about Barcelona but like uh, I think people are up for a disappointment come next summer I don't think he'll be moving to mm-hmm. City um, one, one last point like a couple of questions about City's midfield so um, one like obviously I think a key a key aspect in why why they couldn't win the league last season was um the fact that Bernard, like one, obviously we already mentioned Laporte. Laporte's been injured most of the season, and he's their only. He was their only good central defender, so that that played a huge role. But I think another thing is that he, like we we tend to forget how important Bernardo Silva was in their ti- in their title winning season, whether he played as a winger, whether he played as a midfielder. And then last season he had a horrible season the whole year. Yeah. So, yeah. I think that can that can be a huge difference maker if if he comes back to his form. 
Do you think that season was a one-off or do you think like his good season was a one-off or his bad season was a one-off? Yeah, I mean, it could be just a one-off thing. I think like he, he still has it in him. Uh, like, I think there's a, there's a problem with the whole City squad if you look at it. And like, I'm thinking more about the striker position. Mm. Uh, I can't remember what happened last year exactly, but I think uh, Aguero wasn't fit for the whole season. And uh, like coming this year, I don't see Aguero also being fit throughout the season. Yeah. And uh, Gabriel Jesus really hasn't stepped up to be like a natural a natural successor to that position. Mm. So, uh, like I don't know. Even if you look at the wing, uh, Riyad Mahrez and whoever's on that wing, uh, with the new player that they got in, uh, what's his name? The player from Valencia. I mean, I still don't see like a top top uh, attacking squad or like top three attacking players that can really be a winning Premier League uh, team or a Champions League winning team. Yeah, I have one one thing to say about City as well, just to to close it out. I think the fact that they let Sane leave was a huge mistake. That was massive. Yeah. I was lucky enough yeah. to see City play against West Ham probably four or five years ago. And it was mm-hmm. a 5-1, 6-1 demolition of West Ham. I went with friends who support West Ham. I was the only one left in the West Ham like side of the stadium <laughs> uh, with about 10 minutes left to go. But Sane, KDB... And funnily enough, Antonio from West Ham all looked unbelievable in real life. And yeah. it's, I think that's a huge failure from City to, to let him go. Because I'm looking at their team right now, B, and I agree. It's not a scary lineup. I think KDB is the only X factor that yeah. causes yeah. so much fear in a defence and midfield. Because that guy, for me, and I hate to say it with Liverpool and City you know, not big fans of their teams, mm-hmm. but De Bruyne is the best player in the Premier League. Oh, yeah. By a I while. Think, yeah, he, he's, he's top three players in the world, I'd say. I'd he makes that say. average team into something that's special just by having him in the team. Yeah. So, agreed with B, it's not a scary lineup, but just having him in the team makes all the difference. I mean, I think, I think, um, like uh, Foden can make a difference. Like I mentioned, Bernardo Silva, if he goes back to his uh, league-winning uh, form, I, I think he could be another X-factor. And, and most importantly, Sterling. I think he's one of the players who kind of dropped off last season. And if he's back on, on top form, then, you know, we're talking three, four very dangerous attacking players who can, you know, get you a title if, if everyone's on form, you know. No, I just wanted to say also, like, and even considering, even if we do consider that Messi might come in next season, like, uh, someone like Messi at 33, 34 coming into the team, you, I mean, it's, it's just a huge gamble, you know? Yeah. Uh, you can't really depend on Messi being in that number nine or false nine position to, you know, strengthen that attacking team. I don't know, it's just a huge gamble. I even don't see Messi necessarily being the solution. Yeah. And I think because the thing, the thing that he can provide, I think at this age, like the one thing that he can provide is, is exquisite passing and, and through balls and, uh, you know, creating. And I think they already have, aside from Messi, probably the best creator in, in the world, in De Bruyne. So like, it's not, it's not that he's going to bring this cutting edge, this new sort of dimension to, to the way they play. Mind you, he would disrupt a lot of creativity in the team. Like, I feel like Messi, there's a really huge risk that he might overshadow De Bruyne and, like, really marginalize him and yeah. not bring out the best out yeah, of yeah. that player. Because they play in the same, like, more or less when, when on the ball, when they're in their attacking shape. They both play in the hole. And it's the same thing that he did to Sanchez, to Neymar, to Griezmann. 
all these players who like to play in the number 10 position, like in between the defensive and midfield lines, that, that Messi is the one who you're going to anoint to play in those, you know, those positions. All right, so moving on to Chelsea, I think the biggest question on everyone's mind is who's, which signing is going to make the biggest difference? Who do you think is going to have the biggest impact? For me, it's a tough question. I think the two Germans that come in just is a... It looks like an unbelievable signing for the future to have mm. that connection, those Havertz and Werner. That I think they, they played yesterday and they both scored um, for Germany. So yeah. it just it looks great for Chelsea. I think they've have probably had one of the best windows. I think we have to remember that they haven't bought anyone for a couple of years now. So they were always going to spend big and go hard. But, you know, the opposite of Manchester United, they've spent a lot of money, but this time they've delivered with the goods. And I think they've given Frank Lampard every uh, chance of being successful as a manager. And if he doesn't do it, it won't be because of uh, ownership. I think he had a big say in, 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 uh, in who they bought. And I think that's part of the weakness. Like, uh, you know, a follow-up question, sort of, aside from the attack, but they didn't get any defensive players. And I think Chelsea's defence, not only their defence, but also, more importantly, like, their defensive structure. Like, even if you have the best backline in the world and the best holding midfielder, the way Lampard sets out to play and not to, to sort of counter-press or have scenarios worked out for when they lose the ball. Um, can Thiago Silva fix Chelsea's defensive issues? I mean, I feel like Thiago Silva just brings a lot of experience, but, like... Uh, the aggressiveness of the Premier League, the fast players. I don't know. I'm not sure, not necessarily sure Thiago Silva can actually do that. Also, like thinking about, uh, uh, I don't know, like if he actually speaks proper uh, English or not, but like, can he be a proper, like, leading figure within the dressing room, given that he's just new to the country coming in at that age? I'm not sure. I think uh, he can't speak English. He speaks French. And, and the, the interesting thing I read about this is that most of the Chelsea backline, for their luck, they all speak French. Uh, Zuma, Aspilicueta uh, oh, okay. used to play in France before he joined Chelsea, but yeah, I mean you have quite and the, the goalkeeper Mendy, so you have enough French-speaking players who can either translate or just directly communicate with him. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think he lost but a lot yeah. of pace. I'm, I absolutely. Uh, he's agree. he's like he's thirty-eight, I think, isn't he? Thirty-six. I mean, he's just too uh, old, I think. Like, I just remember players who, like, had this high caliber, but then came in and just gave a season to the clubs they moved to and went. I'm thinking of Lilian Turam when he came to Barcelona. Yeah. Um, Bonucci when he joined AC Milan. Bonucci. I mean, even though he's been revived a little bit with Juve, but Mm. still, yeah. Also, like, it just doesn't seem clear what the new players will add to the team. Like, I just don't know how they all fit together. I thought Mount was playing pretty well last year. Like, I'm not sure they just went for positions that really needed improvement. They just went for players who were there on the market. And, like, now, I don't know, it just feels like uh, it just feels a bit lost. The most player I'm excited about to see in Chelsea is uh, Ziyech. Yeah. Ziyech, is that how you pronounce yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, anyways, this is what I'm really excited about. And I'm not sure how Havritz is going to fit in with, with the team. Uh, but, yeah. Pulisic, Ziyech, and uh, Werner, at least on FIFA, he's been playing really well. I don't know how. He just reminds me a little bit of Shirley. I feel like this is the level that he's going to be at yeah. in Chelsea. Um, they have an amazing team. And I think I like when they're playing against lower teams, when they, you know, where they're expected to dominate the ball, then I think they're going to have a midfield of Kante. They're going to have two, two number eights. So they're going to have Kante, Mount, and Havertz as a midfield three. And then I think for attack, uh, Ziyech on the right... 
Pulisic on the left, uh, Havertz up top, and I think that's unstoppable attack. But it's the same sort of Man City flaw where, like, okay, you have the best attack in the world, but, like, can you... If you're having a bad day, if you can't penetrate their defensive line, and then they just have one shot and they get it, you know, they get behind your high line, then they could drop a lot of points, is what I'm saying. And they're going to ship in a lot of goals. It's a question of how much the new firepower will, will improve this team. Yeah. Do you think they're going to challenge for the title? No, I don't think so either. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's just going to be like, we're going to basically discover how the team is going to look like with them. But I think they need just a year to figure out what's the best lineup for the team with the players they have at hand. It's just going to be a discovery year, basically, and start building for next year, I think. And it could be good enough, I feel like, if they just keep on top four and show glimpses of, you know, being on form. Uh, yeah, I don't think the expectation for them is to win the league this season. It's just to be better than last season and show signs of progress. Yeah. You know, we talked about... You're absolutely right in the sense that a lot of their purchases just seemed like an asset grab rather than a meticulous sort of plugging holes in the team. So I think ZH is, I think ZH and Havertz probably are the only two that actually plugged important holes. So like they knew William was getting too old, they needed to replace him. Someone on the right wing, uh, you know, presence on the right wing, and the same is attacked. As as good as Abraham was last season, he's not an elite striker, but. I think they're going to benefit from having Havertz and Mount. In, in some situations, they can play together. And then in other situations, like we said, it's going to be a very hectic season. And I think one thing that might benefit Chelsea is, is the, the amount of depth that they have. They haven't sold much. you know. They haven't had many departures no. and a huge influx. So I think Lampard's going to enjoy just rotating all of these players, keeping, making sure everyone's fresh, less injuries, higher work rate, I suppose. It's true. For me, like just the biggest problem is like I I still I'm a little bit traditional in the sense I still believe you need the top number nine to be established with the team to really you know win uh, stuff. And Werner, he's a really good striker, but like the position he's been playing is sort of you know being accompanied with another striker at uh, Salzburg. Yeah. So you know having him as a sole number nine, I'm not sure you can depend on him to be that. And I think he's played on the left so far with Chelsea. Like at least a few games he's played coming yeah. coming from the left. So I could still not clear who's, you know, who that number nine is going to be. And betting on Tammy Abraham I just won't won't cut it. Yeah. But I, I also think, you know, he in 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 Leipzig he used to play as a second striker. So just just off, you know, not he's a bit less advanced than than his partner. But um the thing that he can do with Chelsea, and the thing I, that I think they will do with Chelsea, is that he's he's gonna play as a second striker without having a main striker, if that makes sense. So like, not even a false nine per se, but he will drop deep. He will join in the build up, and they're gonna be a very fluid attacking nine. I think Pulisic is gonna cut inside a lot. I think Havertz is gonna make late late runs into the box. So like, so Werner's gonna drop deep, and then he's gonna feed through balls to 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 Havertz. So um, yeah, I think it's gonna be a fluid attack, and I think. Liverpool have proven, uh, Barcelona in their heyday have proven, you don't really need a 40-goal, you know, 30-goal a season striker to, to dominate or to, to have an impressive attacking lineup. I mean, Liverpool have definitely proved that, no? But like, you really need wingers that can compensate for that. Maybe, maybe, yeah. Yeah, I don't think... Zayic was never much of a goal-scoring uh, winger, but I think, I think Havertz, Havertz had... So, like, I was crunching the numbers. I think Havertz has... 20 goals, something close to 20, maybe 18 or 17 goals last season and a ton of assists. And then uh, Werner had maybe 30-something, 35 goals. So I know the Bundesliga is different, but like 
they they brought in a huge number of goals statistically if you're playing by the numbers. So tell me something. So Havertz is he more of a number ten or like more of a winger? Uh, number ten, and okay. occasionally a second striker. But his his favorite position is a okay. pure number ten. Okay. He like might even pull off a Lampard. Yeah. Remember Lampard when he was the top goal goal scorer of his team. He would outscore so Drogba most of the most of the exactly. time. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, does anyone have anything else they want to say about Chelsea? Shall we jump to the next team? Yeah, I've got just one last thing about Chelsea. Something sure. that's breaking in the news recently. There's a story that's just broken a day ago about Kante Lampard falling out. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, Kante is one of the players that is, is integral for Chelsea. And I don't know if that, if that understanding between Lampard and Kante is gone. Does that affect them? And then the other thing I was just thinking about is... With no fans looking for most of the season, that's something at Stamford Bridge, which I think is a, that it's almost a 12th player at Stamford Bridge, that close ground, how loud it is. I think, do you think that will be a big effect? You know, a lot of the players for the smaller clubs, I think when you go to a club like Chelsea or Liverpool on the cop end and you see the fans, the occasion gets to you. And yeah. the big players, they're the ones that have the the strongest nerves, like Bruno Fernandes' penalties, Lionel Messi, final seconds in the match. They st- stay cool, calm, collected, Aguero. So one of the reasons we're seeing, you know, more goals, more players playing well in this bubble situation is that it's more like a training game. And these professional yeah. footballers in training, they can hit perfect passes and perfect shots <laughs> at will. So the gap between the top players and the bottom players is shortening. So yeah. I think we're going to see some strange results this year. And I think we already have Chelsea at home... Yeah, I think Chelsea at home might be not as good as, uh, as, they, typically, as they typically see. You'd be surprised. I think I read something about Chelsea. They had a horrible home spell last season. Like their their <laughs> well, numbers... Like, yeah, they, they, I think they got more points away than they did at home last season. Um, <laughs> That's interesting. So uh, I don't know how much that might affect Chelsea per se specifically, but I absolutely agree that like could it I get think... worse then? Could it get yeah, even yeah. worse? Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> All right. So uh, moving on to to Spurs, there's some people who've been talking about Spurs and and you know uh, touting them as potential title challengers. Uh, do any of you see any uh, merit in that? Yeah, I'll just say that I have no idea about the players that they signed this summer, but I just know that they have made some good signings. You know uh, about one of like, them. Mm. I mean, I know about one of them, and like definitely uh, Gareth Bale. Um, the thing is, like, we don't know if he'll recover his best form when he was at Tottenham or not. Yeah. Uh, I mean, logically, if you look at it age-wise, he's still within the age where he might reach that peak. Uh, we know that he's never been as happy as comfortable in Real Madrid. So, like, coming back home, he might be uh, relatively home. Mm. He might be more comfortable in that. We know that Mourinho can bring the best out of him. Uh, but I'm just taking an indication of how Mourinho has been really showing confidence in that he's happy with the squad that he has. He's been happy about the transfer market. They might actually pull it off. They might put off the top four. Yeah, I think top four would be a good result for them as well. I think they'll be in touching distance in the title at Christmas. And then I think you'll start to see just slowly mm, drift away. Yeah, unless Bale comes in and has a season of his life, I think that could be the only X factor. They did just smash Manchester United 6-1. Um, yeah. They do look very good right now. They signed Regulon as well um, for a very, yeah. very good price from mm. Real Madrid. I think that's a smart um, signing. Me and F have spoken before about Son, and we just we think he's, you know, 
such a I top I think this player. is going to be his breakthrough season. I mean, yeah, he was already a star, but I think this is he's going to have a you know Salah Mane level season this year. Yeah, agreed, agreed. I think I I honestly think he would be in my if I had to pick a Premier League team of the year from last year or even from the last two three years, he he would probably be in my top eleven. Yeah. Um, I think Delhi Ali. I think that's a tricky situation. I think that that's not ideal and and maybe one of the setbacks. I still think they have some poor players. I think Eric Dyer is not a top player. I think their goalkeepers aren't the top players. I think their full-backs aren't ideal. I think Regulon obviously is a good replacement. I don't think Lamella is is top class. Um, yeah. Lasalcio yeah, is I, not know. top class, but Lasalcio is a good is a good, you know, midfielder to be fair. And it appears to me cuz uh, you mentioned fullbacks. There are other fullback I think I think it's Connor Cody, I'm not sure. Or it's someone else. He's, he was the Wolves' right back. And he used to play as a wing back as well. So, um, And I think Mourinho is going to go the Liverpool route, which I think really suits the personnel at Tottenham. So I think the, the United match, they actually dropped Deli Ali, and they played with more or less three hardworking midfielders. Hoiberg, after the, he had a horrible first match against Everton. But since then, he was, for me, against United, he was man of the match. He was super impressive. So, and Ndombele stepping up as well. Uh, to insane levels like he's, he's the Indomble we thought he would be when they signed him and then you have for the third spot you have someone like Lo who's sort of a mix he has a lot of flair but he also has good work rate or uh, Musa Sissoko or um, someone else can fill in that third spot and I think automatically by having all, all you know the whole midfield line being quite defensive that that gives a lot of freedom for the fullbacks to attack and so far, we haven't even said Harry Kane, because like Harry Kane, I feel is you know just a person that will carry the team because he's such a phenomenal player. Yeah. Um, if if really he stays fit throughout throughout the season, you know he's a goal scorer. He can set up goals. Uh, there was this game I can't remember if it's this season or towards the end of last season, but like where he set up around four, four goals, goals for some. Yeah. We talked yeah, about it. It was this season, episodes. wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. It was this season. Mm-hmm. So man, yeah. Harry Kane is like a star, star player, one of the best players in the world, even, and like he's a person that can carry the team towards you know being towards their up for even contesting for the league. Yeah. Uh, the only problem, even though he's like he's the, even though he's the advantage for Tottenham, but he's also a problem in itself is Mourinho. Uh, I don't know if SNFE watched the Amazon mm. documentary for as uh, for Spurs. No, I haven't, sadly. But man, like, really, I mean, it's basically the Mourinho documentary. It's not the Tottenham Spurs documentary. The Mourinho show. And, like, he's such an interesting character, but also you really uh, get an inside glimpse into how sour Mourinho can get and how poisonous he can get into the dressing room when things aren't going well at the club. Yeah. And, like, if at any stage throughout the season Tottenham reached that, then, you know, they just enter into a spiral that I'm not sure Mourinho is a coach that can bring them out of it. Yeah. So at at uh, just like at a, at a season where you have coronavirus, where you have players like Harry Kane and Gareth Bale, whose top players are very injury prone, expect that you might get you know enter into these sorts of cycles and where things could get very sour. Yeah, I mean the interesting thing about Mourinho is that he's always he's always kind of happy to be there when he when he first joins a team. I think it takes him a couple of years until he starts turning toxic. So that's that's one of the things that's giving me high hopes for Tottenham. The the fact that. He hasn't even closed the full year yet, and he has the players he wants. Uh, we mentioned Harry Kane, and we talked about this on our last episode, that the fact that Harry Kane is playing as a false nine a lot this season, I find that very interesting. And I think sort of like similar to what Benzema used to do for Madrid in their peak, 
uh, or maybe Firmino, what he's doing now, he's, he's playing as a false nine, he's dropping deep, and then he's giving... And I think that's going to suit Bale a lot. Like, it's already... We've seen what it's done with Son, and I think that's really going to suit Bale off the right to cut inside and, and score. So I think we won't see the ugly side of Marino until next season. But who knows? I mean, since his Madrid stint, I think he's really changed. He's no longer the sort of... Uh, I think he's gone too old and he can't really connect with, with you know, millennial players anymore. They're just, a, you know, too, too different culturally. I think it worked with the, with the Chelsea team. It worked with Inter, you know, more a older generation who kind of that rough, you know, method kind of worked with them. But who, but who knows? I mean, once he's on a positive momentum, then maybe uh, it'll work. Um, another thing I was thinking about is same question I act, I asked about City. Um, so it seems that Marino's stuck with with Eric Dyer and Sanchez as his uh, de- uh, defensive pairing, and I think that's the only weakness point to me. I think the midfield is great, the fullbacks are great, the attack is great. Um, do you think these two are good enough? Eric Dyer and uh, Sanchez. I'm not sure. Um, like, where do you think that they'd be in a defensive mid position or as centre backs? Because uh... no, no, they're the centre back pairing. Yeah, I mean, Eric Dyer is just a really good makeshift player. He can like fit in in defensive matters or, or like as a as a centre back. But like, yeah, it's it's definitely a weakness. Alderweireld uh, isn't he playing? No, from what I remember, uh, he he's barely played this season. I think most matches it's been Dyer and Sanchez as the the centre back pairing. S, what do you think? Yeah, I like I like Sanchez. I just think Dyer is not. One or two games, like B says, you can stick him in and he'll do a job mm. against a mid-table team. But I think, again, you play against Barcelona, you play against Real Madrid, you play against Juventus, then Eric Dyer's real quality is going to make an impact. Yeah. When it's about the inches, I think his his football brain isn't quick enough, his talent isn't there. I don't know. I don't, I don't rate Eric Dyer at all. United were going to buy him for fifty million pounds, no His more than two really years ago, and that just shows United's. <laughs> yeah, that just shows United's. I mean, I know we moved on from from United, but I just like to take a small banter at something. I just wish you guys have gotten uh, Dembele from us from Barcelona. <laughs> Man, what a flop he would have been. He's terrible, Look, right? He's terrible. That would have been one of the worst. He is signings such an amazing history, player, but like he's the most careless player you could ever see. So lazy for trainings, no work ethic whatsoever. And he's been out injured for the past two uh, two seasons. So like I don't know. He's just. I think he's done. I mean, obviously it's too early to judge. And he didn't want to come to the club. Why would you bring someone who yeah. doesn't want to come to the club as a replacement? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I don't know. It would have been terrible. I think I'm glad that Barcelona we didn't get anyone. Barcelona are just so sad to have him because he's been fucking the club in their transfer policies for the past two seasons. Yeah. I mean, I think he was the guy that basically didn't allow Neymar to come to the team because Barcelona need, needed to offload the player for wages and for you know just some the cash asset, to yeah. uh, buy Neymar, and he didn't want he didn't want to move. And like it happened again this year, either with Depay coming in or like anyone else. Um, <laughs> he's just been like. Uh, yeah, it's just been a really annoying piece for Barcelona. They haven't been able to know how to get rid of them. So United have been the perfect solution. But even the better didn't want to go to United. I mean, that's a little bit telling, I mm. guess. No. <laughs> exactly, exactly. That shows where we are at a club right now. So uh, does anyone have anything else they want to say about Tottenham before we move on to the next team? Go for it. So Arsenal, as far back as I started watching football, probably like the one thing that Arsenal were always crying out for was was to have a defensive, a solid defensive midfielder. 
have have they solved this 10 year problem with Partey? I mean, I thought Arsenal uh, were like basically crying out to have a player for every position they have. <laughs> Sad. Uh, but, <laughs> but yeah, I Shot mean, looking fired. at uh, Arteta and Torreira, they just weren't players who would really be able to hold that yeah. position. Partey, Partey might be an interesting signing, even though like he hasn't really broken into Atletico's first team until last year. Sure. So like he hasn't been so long playing at that, you know playing consistently throughout the season but it might be a solution it would be interesting to see mm. I think the the midfield for Atletico as well it's an interesting thing I think that's where they have the most depth they have so many uh, Saul, Koke uh, Lo- Marcus Lorente they have so many good midfield players that it's that kind of forces Diego Simeone to keep rotating but what do you think Asa about Partey do you know much about him do you think do you have any opinions on yeah he's, he's extremely highly rated and I think if he lives up to what we what they think he can bring. I think United would have mm. dreamed about having Partey join us. I think that's the exact position where I know Arsenal's had a ten year problem like you said, F, but mm. United have a problem right now there. And I'm quite impressed with Arsenal to get this done. It kinda it happened at the end of the transfer yeah. window, almost the last two, three days, right? So so they they got it over the line. What's interesting is that apparently like the main reason he wanted to leave Atletico is that he doesn't really see himself as a defensive midfielder, but he felt that um, Diego Simeone sort of shoehorned him into that position. So I don't think, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. So with, with Ceballos to sort of play as the most, obviously, clearly the most advanced uh, midfielder. So I don't know what, what Partey, do you think, so they usually play with a 3-4-3, so they only play with two midfielders, more or less, in their team most of the time. Do you think now with Partey coming in, they're going to switch to a three? Or do you think um, Partey is just going to slot in in the same system and play alongside Ceballos? It looks like uh, Arsenal, I mean, Arteta is playing mostly with a three defensive uh, formation so far. Yeah, three at the back, yeah. So I feel like it's just going to continue and he'll just be, I don't know, I I feel like over the past 10 years, we've really been seeing a transition into a style of football that's more you know, less of an emphasis on midfield and just trying to get the ball from defense mm-hmm. straight to the attacking side of the game. Yeah. So, yeah, I feel like Partey, yeah, he has that defensive side to play when the ball is not with them, but like when he's in an attacking position, he might be able to be that sort of player that offers a quick transition. Mm. And yeah. he, he's got a good passing range as well for a CDM. Like, he he's, he gets, he likes a through ball. He, I wonder how many assists he got last year. I'm just looking at the stats now. Not that many. I don't think Atletico score that many goals, sadly. <laughs> <laughs> they're very, they are defensive minded. But I'm just reading his stats. He makes, in last year in the Champions League, he did 3.6 uh, okay. tackles That's, in a game, yeah. which is pretty high for a CDM. And he made 1.6 key passes per game. And the key pass yeah, yeah. means uh, leads to a goal scoring chance. So. That that's pretty good stats. I mean, even for a defender, central defender, mm. that's a lot of uh, tackles in a um, match. I mean, it tells you some. It tells you something. Uh, Simeone was furious when basically uh, the player was allowed to leave. I'm not sure if they uh, like activated his release yeah, clause. Yeah, they did because uh, uh, Atletico uh, didn't want to negotiate. But like you know, Simeone was absolutely furious. So it tells you something about how much the Arsenal wanted the player and how much you know Simeone didn't really want to let him go. So it must be something exciting. Yeah. Do you think the Arsenal board should expect top four after their spending? I mean, it's not that much compared to the rest of the Premier League, but to their levels, it is quite shocking for what we've seen from Arsenal. I'm not sure like uh, whether they're right to expect that, but like I do think they would 
be able to pull off a top four. Arteta reminds him a little bit of Klopp uh, mm. when he first entered Liverpool, when he first came to Liverpool. He didn't really have the right squad yet. He just really brought his dynamism, his you know energy to the club. He's definitely instilled a winning mentality to the club, and you can see that by the wins they've had since last season until this one. I mean, they've really made important wins against Chelsea, against City, yeah. against United, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. I think he beat all of the top six teams, if I'm not mistaken. And and he hasn't even you know done a full year yet, and he doesn't have his team. That's the thing, you know, we look a lot, a lot at uh, like squad makeups and like names on paper of players. Mm. And like this is the determinant factor for thinking that the team is going to basically be up there or not. But really, there's a lot, a lot that happens in the background. And like having winning mentality in the right environment in the dressing room is such a major factor. Arteta seems to be bringing that. Yeah, I think he has a huge winning mentality. And I also think he's really detailed in his tactics and he knows exactly what he wants, what he expects from the players. He's quite good at communicating that and drilling that into the team. And most importantly, I think since Wenger, maybe since early Wenger, even he's the first coach Arsenal had that I felt had a vision. So he knows what he's building towards, not only in the short term, but he he looks as though he has some sort of long-term image of what he wants the team to be. And he's not uh, departing from the identity of the club. Like He's basically continuing an Arsene Wenger legacy. Yeah. Beautiful football, passing game, uh, you know, winning not just for the sake of results, but for the sake of playing style. So like it's not foreign to the identity of the club, and that's why I feel like it could be a successful formula. Very true. They have quite a big basket of, of young talent, uh, Saliba, Gabriel, Maitland-Niles, uh, Saka, Ketia, Martinelli. Which of these do you guys think is going to have the most explosive season, if any? I feel like Saka has been playing more regularly. Mm. Uh, yeah, if I'm going to like bet on one player, it could be Saka, I guess. Uh, for the rest of the players, I don't know, I don't see Martinelli yet breaking into becoming a starter. Yeah. Yeah, Saka seems to be the most exciting. Poor, poor Pepe. <laughs> oh, not even in the conversation at this point. Yeah, I think Pepe, <laughs> Pepe is just uh, another Dembele, sadly, in my books. So much hype before when he came in. I think everyone was slightly yeah. jealous as well. He yeah. looked like a player. Doesn't seem like he's gonna be anything. Uh, I think I think Gabriel. I think Gabriel is like what they've been looking for as well. He's, he's Gabriel is exciting. Very young, but he. You know, very assured, very confident defender. Um, you can see, you can see a huge difference uh, with him there, and you don't usually see someone so young as a centre back having making such an immediate impact. But for me, that's my pick. I think for the for the most yeah, I think young he would walk into a lot of teams right now. Um, and he's he's young, like you said. How old is he? He's uh... I think he's a teenager. I think he's nineteen or twenty. Oh, I think he's 22, but still, he's still oh. unbelievably young. Um, big guy, six foot three, just intimidating. Mm. Like Arsenal used to have a really big team. I don't know if you remember, but when they had Burkamp and Vieira, yeah. they, their team just made all the other teams look like schoolboys playing football with them and, yeah. and bringing in someone, you know, another Brazilian, another young talent. I think, you, again... Slightly jealous uh, from a United perspective of, of uh, Gabriel coming in. Mm. But also, like I feel like let's not be too optimistic about the prospects of Arsenal because when you see a player like Holding managing to start a game, then you know something's I, I don't think that. I think they will do the work. I think last year they were eighth and the bottom of the top six in quotation marks. Am I right? I, I, I don't think they're going to do miles better than what they did last year. Um, Honestly, I think 
I don't know whether we've covered... I think you probably want to cover Everton slightly and, and Leicester and maybe Leeds F. But, mm. you know, just for me and my, my top six, I'll just quickly go through what, what I think the top six is going to be. And okay. Arsenal aren't going to be in the top four, in, in my opinion. Okay. I, I think the top two is going to be between Manchester City and Liverpool. And yeah. at the moment, it's a flip of a coin. And I know that winning the title back-to-back of the Premier League is extremely difficult. So I, I appreciate Liverpool have got a tough challenge ahead of them. I think Man City don't look polished right now. It's, this is their year if they wanted to take it with the players they have. But I'm going to yeah. go for Liverpool walking it again this year. For some reason, I just think they're going to win and they're going to win well. I think Man City's going to come second. I think Chelsea's going to come third. I think United are going to do terrible. They're going to be 8th, ninth until, you know, most of the season. I think they're going to bring Pochettino in a key signing in January. And I think they're going to clinch top four. Optimistic, but uh, I think they're going to get top four. Then I think it's going to be Tottenham. And then I think it's going to be Everton. And then I think Arsenal, Leicester, Leeds in the next positions in any order. Interesting. F, it seems uh, United fans are as delusional as, delusion as their <laughs> club leadership. What you say, mm, that you only meant well, well, cause you did, mm, what you say. It really, it really might be a whole structure Let problem. Let me tell you why, very, going I'll up from the top seconds. until the fan base. No, Zero expectation sec- management. It's 30 seconds why. <laughs> I think when we bring in a new like, do you remember we brought in Oli last time and we were like really, really in the low 11th, yeah, 12, the gutters, 13. Yeah. And then I think 17 yeah. games unbeaten, a really nice winning streak. I think something that Chelsea know, you bring in a manager, you're going to get a fake bump in performance. Mm. It's just a fake bump. Sure. Like Bruno's pissed off, Pogba's pissed off. At the end yeah. of the day, our midfield is, is pretty strong. Like, we do have a strong midfield and we have an exciting attacking team. Defence can be fixed or at least plastered with a good manager. I don't think Oli is is a good enough tactical manager to do that for the defence that we have right now. But if you Mm. bring in someone like Pochettino and you just... For me, I think you bring Luke Shaw, you pull in Luke Shaw as a central defender. I think then you partner him with Maguire, Bailly or Lindelof and then you bring in Tellers at left-back, then I think a manager can work with that. And then if the team clicks, I promise you guys, like that midfield with Donny van der Beek, Bruno Fernandes, Paul Pogba, that is a scary midfield. And that, that should perform well. Um, and, I, and I think that's better than Everton. I think that's better than Leicester. I think that's better than Arsenal. A lot of teams that I think that you guys are predicting will be above United. And I think you'll be surprised. F, uh, I think in your last podcast episode you were talking about the rise and fall of empires and you know <laughs> I, I feel like when you uh, reach a stage of someone calling a duo of Matic and Pogba a good midfield then you're definitely seeing the start of the decline uh, did I say yeah, Matic? did I say the words Matic? <laughs> I didn't say it <laughs> and and there's a lot of caveats to my to my top four, but that's what they are. Fair enough.
I mean, look, I'll be very, very honest. They might actually pull a surprise. I still, you know, judging from what I saw last season, Bruno Fernandes, Rashford and Martial, there's definitely a lot that could be, uh, you know, that they could offer. They just need a, a complete gel around them that could facilitate them doing that. Yeah. So moving on to the best of the rest, uh, other potential contenders. Um, so I, I had Everton, Leicester and Leeds down in that order. I think Everton are going to be what Leicester were last season. I think Leicester are going to be what Wolves were last season. And I think Leeds are going to be what Sheffield were last season. Fair. What do you think about that? I mean, we haven't even talked about Wolves yet. And we weren't even considering them as part of the teams we want to talk about. But Wolves are definitely up there. I don't think they've had a major change in squad. Maybe Yota was like a big hit, but they still have their striker who's really good. They have, uh, what's his name, Traore. Yeah. So, like, Wolves are definitely up there. But, like, uh, yeah, I'm just really, really excited to see what comes out of Leeds and Marco Bielsa. Um, so, like, this is this is the first year where I start having a fantasy team. Um, and, like, just naturally, I found myself having three players in my team uh, from, like, the Leeds team. Hopefully attackers. I don't think they're going to have many clean sheets. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they won't have a lot of clean sheets at all. In the first game against Liverpool, it's just an indication yeah, exactly. of that. But uh, Bielsa, man. I mean, he's you, you can definitely bet on Leeds giving something exciting this season. Mm, yeah. And that's basically why I thought they would be uh, what Sheffield were last season. I think, you know, sort of a revolutionary force. Sheffield with their tactics as well. Like, nobody expected them to play the way they played with uh, overlapping centre-backs. And, you know, sort of in the conversation for top six, but not really. And I think I think that's a fair expectation to have for Leeds. Hopefully they can build yeah. on that in the next season, particularly if Bielsa stays. Um, but out of these three and perhaps Wolves as well, do you think any of them, any of these four can challenge for the top six realistically? It's, it's really uh, starting to become a crowded uh, top six. Huh? Oh, yeah. Yeah, basically, let's discount United and consider that they're going to be ninth or 10th mm. in the league this season. Yeah, I could definitely see Leeds, Wolves, any one of those teams basically filling in. Yeah, same. What about Everton? Don't you think? Because I think, I think they, they look like a top four team. I, I know it's, it's very early to judge, but I really have a lot of high hopes for them. They're currently first of the league. Uh, I personally believe in uh, strong beginnings to be an indication of what the team might end up being in the, in the, mm. in the league. As long as Everton have had that strong start and, you know, that comes with a major, you know, shift and change within the current squad with having James, uh, James Rodriguez coming in, their striker is completely on form. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you have a coach like Ancelotti, a coach like Ancelotti with a winning mentality, you know, I wouldn't discount him at all. Mm. I mean, Ancelotti had quite, he had a very disappointing, his last two spells were quite disappointing with, with Bayern and with uh, Napoli. I think he got very unceremoniously sacked. Both times, do you think? Do you think his his work so far and and potentially what he might achieve this season would that warrant a return for him as you know on the conversation of the the, the top managers? I feel like just like with any top coach, if you have the other factors in place, you have a strong squad, you have a strong structure. Other teams aren't doing so well. If they do hit top form, a top coach like him can definitely latch onto that and you know yeah add to that and bring that winning mentality. So yeah, yeah he can definitely still put it off. Similar to who was it the one that the last trouble with Bayern the 2013 one? Uh, uh, yeah, exactly. That's a really good example. Yeah. Actually, what was his name? Um, anyway, him that guy. Um, him. <laughs> yeah, let's just call him him. Yeah, uh, Job Hankins. Uh, yeah, Job Hanks. Yeah. 
That's the one. Your pints. That's it. Um, yeah, he. I think he won a Champions League with Madrid in the nineties. So like, he's he was an old like already by the time he won the treble, he was an old school coach, and people were writing him off. But so I, I I think like you said, if if all of the circumstances are there, then you never know. They might do it. So what's what's your final predictions for let's say top six or top eight? How do you think the table's going to pan out? I think I agree with us. Uh, I f- I see Liverpool winning the league again this season. So let's put, even though like their seven-two loss against Aston Villa, I don't, mm-hmm. I've never heard of that. Uh, a winning team, you know, having such a loss in the season yeah. and going on to win the league. But like, let's still put them there. Liverpool, City, Arsenal, third. Yeah, okay. Arsenal third. Tottenham, Chelsea, or Chelsea, Tottenham, uh, and then Everton. Yeah. I think that's how I'd uh, rank my top six. Okay, interesting. I had um, City is first. I, I don't know why, but I, I, I'm, I feel like I'm going to regret saying this. Uh, but yeah, I felt City are going to win the title. I think Spurs are going to come second. Fair. Um, Liverpool third, Chelsea fourth. Uh, Liverpool third? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think um, even though they had a much better summer than City, but there's just something about, I think they've been found out. I think people have sort of like, you see it with Bielsa, you see it with uh, Aston Villa. Teams sort of appear to have figured out how to, how to you know, take advantage of their weaknesses or their, their, their weak spots. And I feel bad saying this because I think Klopp is one of the best tacticians in the world. So I think he might tweak his team because the Liverpool today is not the same as the Liverpool of the, his first two seasons when he first joined. They had a very different playing style. And the thing I really admire about Klopp is maybe similar to Ferguson is that he's a very adaptable, very forward-looking coach. So, um, but two uh, interesting things to say about that. First is definitely we've been seeing a pattern where teams that come with a new style of football uh, that add a certain edge, we see other teams do catching onto that after three, four years. Yeah. And Klopp has been with the club for around that time. So like it does make sense for teams to start, you know, finding a trick or a gap into how to break that. Yeah. But another thing to say about that is, uh, have you seen these recent comments from Klopp's previous number two, from his previous assistant? Yeah. So he, his, so yeah, uh, just like for uh, for people listening in to uh, to know. So he's basically saying that he was the mastermind, the person behind all the different tactics, and Klopp was just uh, Klopp was just a front for just the cheerleader. All those different tactics that he was coming up for, just a cheerleader. So uh, I think he moved out of the club last year at some 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 point at some point last season or the season before. I think the season before. I think from the start of the the title winning season, he wasn't there. So that kind of okay. makes me feel he was more bitter than he was. Uh, I mean, he could have built the foundations for the team. Perhaps, but yeah. now when you have players like Thiago coming in and possibly a change in the makeup and the structure and the side of play of the team, can Klopp be the one that, that does that without his you know, tactical mm. number two mastermind? That's a question mark as well. His, his, his current number two is, is actually quite uh, well-respected or uh, well in, held in well regard. I think Pep Linders. Okay. But he's, he's also someone who is very spoken highly of. So I don't know. But I do think they have the potential to change and prove me wrong. And I hope so, because frankly, I think they're my favorite team in England. So um, I think, yeah, with Thiago having a very different profile, maybe they could they could do it again. But I don't know why I'm kind of being cynical, I suppose. So I, that's why I had them as third. And also just judging on his... You remember how they, they capitulated in Dortmund in his last year? Yeah. They were seven. Yeah, seven. exactly. I kind of have a feeling that's it. Like his... his uh, enthusiastic uh, shtick has run its course 
and he wants to end on a high. He's been saying that after Liverpool, he's not planning on coaching mm. any other team. So, like, I feel like that gives an uh, indication about how much importance he places on his legacy. Yeah. Um, and, you know, when someone gets that cocky, to be honest, when his reputation is at the stake and things aren't turning to the toe, so what could just you know, end up being a spiral as well within the team. Absolutely. I always had a feeling he has unfinished business. I, I always had a feeling because... The thing I love about him is that he's such a working class coach. Like he loves going to cities with, with a big working class, and and a big part of his sort of mission is is to bring joy to these people, after what life has thrown at them or capitalism has thrown at them. Um, so I always felt he wanted he would join Barcelona, especially once the changes happen. Knock on wood. Once uh, there's a new director, um, that that Klopp would go to Barcelona, and that would be his last hurrah, sort of to rescue yeah. them win them another league title, maybe sort of help the post-Messi transition, build a new team, and then that would be his departure. I mean, do you think... <laughs> All right, then we're just going to say what's happening right now. There's just this noise that came out, but I've never heard this in the planet. trippy. It's like it feels aliens. like someone just brought up... Yeah, someone feels like brought a motorcycle to their flight, to their flat. Um, but like, do you do you see Klopp being in such a rigid ideological club as uh, Barca? I feel like he would just be feel so so con- constrained within the limits of the club. But I don't know. I just don't see it. I think since since Luis Enrique, the sort of possession football has been gone. That's true. They've been much more direct for the past five years, and Komen is. Yeah, yeah, Komen, I think, his most successful spell before Barcelona with the Netherlands and, and Southampton. And they both played very, very Klopp-esque football. So are we transitioning to talking about Barcelona now? Uh, let me, let me, wait, let me, let's, let's round off our predictions then. Uh, so <laughs> and right. we can fully go on to Barcelona. Um, so Liverpool third, I think I'm going to regret saying this. Chelsea fourth, Arsenal fifth, Everton sixth, uh, Leicester seventh and United eighth. Um, what's your prediction for top scorer? In the Premier League, who do you think? Top scorer of, I feel, I might say either Harry Kane, Vardy, or that guy from Everton, the top goal scorer right mm, now. Uh, Calvert Lewin. Yeah, these would be my three picks. Interesting. Wonderful. I had I had Son. I think he Possibly. he might have a, a maybe maybe Salah, maybe Vardy as as you know, second or third picks. Who do you think is going to be signing of the season in the Premier League? I already gave my pick. If you remember Alan, yeah, I mean, I'm going. I mean, my first option of the, uh, I was thinking about Thiago, but like honestly, uh, Gareth Bale, Bale, maybe, hmm. maybe, yeah, he might add that uh, you know extra something that Tottenham needs to really challenge for the titles. Maybe I can see that being the case actually. If if you know if he maybe. if he manages to stay fit, or if Marino manages him well. I mean, they were doing quite well with with Lucas, so I think it's good enough for them that they already have a, another option. I had uh, Alan on, and because I'm such a because I love defensive midfielders, my my second option was also a defensive midfielder, uh, Hoiberg for Tottenham. After seeing his performances in the first few matches, I think he's gonna he's gonna have an insanely uh, he's gonna make a big difference for Tottenham. Very possible. Which team do you think is gonna be the flop of the season? Now that S is gone, I think we can. I feel like that's been obvious from yeah. exactly. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, I feel like that's just been obvious from what we've been saying so far. United just haven't done well in the transfer market. Yeah. Uh, the club just seems to be in complete disarray. Yeah, I mean, it's good if they finish top top ten this season. Yeah, I 
for the same reason, like I, I didn't even pick United because it felt like a given to me. I, it felt like um, it wouldn't, I wouldn't consider it as a flop because I already expected them to sort of finish maybe outside of the top six or outside of the top four at least. So I had Chelsea on because a lot of the talk with all of the signings, basically based on the, the expectations on Chelsea rather than, uh, you know, uh, so based on the money they spent, I think Chelsea are going to be considered a flop. I think they might finish fourth. They might even struggle to be in the top four, given how strong the competition is this season. Who do you think is going to be the flop signing of the season? Have Havertz, the guy from Chelsea, possibly. I mean, mm. it's going to be one of the Chelsea signings, just because they've made so many major so many, signings. Yeah. One of them is bound to turn up. Yeah. I initially had Havertz on, but after much meditation, I uh, I switched to Thiago Silva. And again, not, not that I think he's going to be horrible, but I think, you know, people always talk about him as... as top five centre-backs and I think he's going to be found out the, the pace of the Premier League the way Chelsea play with such a high defensive line I think he's going to have a troubling adjustment in, in Chelsea but Like, how bad can a defender be? Like, he might flop in a few games but like to be the worst signing I mean he has to pull off a David Luiz for him to yeah. win that paper. No, I, I never imagined a David, a, you know, David Luiz for him but... I think, again, just measured against the expectations and not measured against, like, he's not going to be a Harry Maguire-level flop. But just, again, but the expectations, the standard is much higher for Thiago Silva compared to Maguire, which is, I guess, why I picked him. I have Project Big Picture here. Do you want to just... Yeah, I mean, you said you were going to do some research about it and I tried to find out a little bit more. So it's just interesting to know more, to know know more about it. Okay, so what I found, my, my first observation... Uh, is that it's hilarious that the, the two the two clubs that are pushing for it are Liverpool and Man United, and it's ironic that they both have American owners, and this is yeah. basically the the the, oh, the COVID bailout or the two thousand eight bailout. It's just it's what American billionaires are used to, just to, like whenever there's That's a crisis, so just to consolidate their power or to get more money That's or whatever. Um, so I found that an interesting observation. But to go back to the details, I think what I found was the initial plan was for the EPL in itself, so the Premier League. As a as a organization, to pay fifty million as a as a you know what's it called like a support payment, and then to give a yeah. hundred million in loan, sort of a very easy loan, let's say, to the to the smaller clubs, to the EFL clubs, and there were a lot of delays in in working that out. So after the delays, that's when United and Liverpool they stepped up, and they they gave their their own proposal of two hundred and fifty, so the the number almost doubled. In addition to that, they also promised the EFL clubs a higher annual revenue. So they'd get a much higher portion of the, the Premier League TV rights itself. Okay. But there's obviously the, the, the trouble is there's a lot of... The flip side. Yeah. So here's the thing. Here's what they get in return is the big six could veto. They'd have a lot of uh, decision-making powers. One of them, yeah. they could veto the purchase of an EPL club. So they could... they could really? veto. Yes. That's one of the, the conditions. So you're saying basically, if they see a club in threat about like being bought and possibly being revamped, they'd actually stop. Them. Exactly. Wow. Exactly. And obviously, they're going to come up with their fake reasons and say, "Oh, you know, we don't, we don't want that this person or that person." But yeah, it's obviously it's so that nobody can challenge the stats score. Another thing is that uh, the Premier League will be reduced to 18 teams, similar to the Bundesliga, yeah. and yeah. two teams would be automatically relegated instead of three. And then, you know how there's a playoff for the final, usually for the final. Yeah. Uh, so the, the, let's say if it's 18, the 16th position team would join the playoff. Okay. So if they win, they stay. If they win the playoff, 
if they lose, then the team from the from the EFL would jump up to. Uh, the I thing. mean, about the about the eighteen eighteen team uh, point. To be honest, I see like uh, a point in reducing the number of teams to reduce the number of matches that teams play because the Premier League has become so so intense on players. Exactly. That I really feel like they do need a break, and yeah. like reducing the number of matches with the less teams could actually cut it. Absolutely. But on, but on the other side of things, it is something that will benefit uh, top elite clubs playing a number of competitions against the other teams, because you know basically they're the ones that would benefit most from it. And you know, as part of the whole package, it's just another factor that can, that consolidates them being you know. On, on top and I feel like that's a cost you have to play for a club having so much money being able to maintain such a high squad playing more matches and being weared out in the season compared to other teams is something you have to yeah you know and that's what sort of balances the playing field in a certain way exactly exactly and more and more like I think in the past five or six years that the debate around the big teams has been around their rotation management so how how they can manage rather than just having the best 11. The, you know the, the discussions being about having a good 16 or 17 players so you can keep everyone fresh but speaking of speaking of you know freshness and fitness another thing they wanted is to cancel the Carabao Cup yeah and what's most interesting to me is the way the way they leverage their position to force or to try to force this move is that so they basically they're squeezing out the other 14 teams in the in the Premier League but they're gaining the support of 72 clubs of the EFL so it's it's a weird coalition when you think about it, where they're desperate for the money, so they'll take any conditions, and this basically this basically strips the the, the non top six teams in the Premier League from any uh, yeah. having any clout or decision making. Um, it's essentially like the the disappearance of a middle class, but in exchange, the working class they sort of get benefits, and the the elites tighten their position at the top. It's a fascinating. It's like the the New Deal in America or something like a very interesting. I agree. So that's basically it. I had a good quote from the Guardian, but since we still have a lot to cover, I think I'm just gonna ignore that. Um, just just because we have we have a lot to cover. What, what do you think? We like have a part two in this. Sure. Because uh, basically, like it would be interesting to also talk about you know the this project with uh, S. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like we could also connect that to uh, you talking about the Spanish league and then talking about the Champions League because there's a lot, a lot to cover still. And like, it definitely makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, it's good that we, we can just end it with the Premier League and then... Uh, exactly. Yeah, and then we can cover the rest of Europe and the bit Project Big Picture. I suppose we can touch on that again. I mean, what's interesting about Project Big Picture is that everything we've said so far, there's also going to be more to talk about uh, in the next episode because there are going to be new developments and like exactly. more reactions to it. So it'll be nice to have a continuation of it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that sounds great. And I think what we have almost two hours now. Yeah. Jesus. So like just what's... <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. So just like what's like interesting so that listeners can actually listen to this. We were planning on having just an hour to talk about all of this. <laughs> and like at some at some point, us just basically bailed out and he's like, you know, my uh, lunch hour is done from work, so I need to go back. Um, so it's just, it's just interesting and we've been soldiering through and yeah it's like 10 10 45 here and like my plan is to start having dinner at around 9 9 30 mm-hmm. so it's interesting that the conversation has taken up yeah much. yeah yeah um all right so s usually does the the you know the wrapping things up i'm just gonna i'm just gonna have a go i suppose that was it folks thank you for listening Tune in again for part two, where we're going to talk about uh, La Liga, we're going to talk about Barcelona, Real Madrid, Atletico, some of the other Champions League contenders like Juventus and Bayern and PSG. 
and their leagues were, you know, sort of a given that they're going to win their leagues, but just to sort of touch on that. And probably Champions League predictions as well, and general overall predictions for the entire top five European leagues. Thank you for listening. Uh, B, thank you so much for joining us. It was, it was a pleasure and an honor to have you as our first uh, guest. And uh, very, very fun to have someone new sort of, you know, change up the dynamic. It was, uh, it was a fun, and we, we never recorded for more than two hours in, in our lives, in the past four episodes. So that's, that in itself is a cool thing. Thank you for having me. I mean, I just finished a half bottle of whiskey while we're having the conversation as well. So that just shows how fun it is. Are you drunk right now? <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> the guy is drunk, but there he goes. All right. Cool. That's it. See you next episode.